0: Alright, so we're back. Okay, Mark chapter 6. For those of you who have been visiting with us, we're, we're just working through uh, the gospel according to Mark. It's just a storyline of Jesus. But it's a storyline of Jesus to those who um, did not grow up as a part of the nation of Israel. So they didn't necessarily grow up in this, um, in, in this in religion. Okay, so this is new to them. And they're newly being invited into this story. And so he's, he's telling this storyline of, um, of the life of Jesus and his ministry and the things that are very relevant and, and important. Um, as as we have um. As we look at this scripture in Mark chapter six, specifically what has just happened, we've seen Jesus do a lot of stuff. He was in the area of the ten cities, which were um, uh, Greek uh, occupied. Um, there were ten cities that were primarily to the east of uh, you were looking at a map in the Sea of Galilee, primarily to the east. This is this is your west, my east, to your east of, of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is doing ministry over here. And one of the main cities where became the capital later of Roman occupation was the place in which Trey taught last week where Jesus healed. The daughter of the leader of, that, of the main tabernacle there, so at the, just the the center of, of that culture and civilization in this the most religious of places, Jesus did this amazing miracle, and scripture tells us then that after this, and just north of there is where uh, he we had the pig story into the water, and then, so the scripture is telling us that he he goes in across the Sea of Galilee again or galilee again into galilee and is actually headed back to nazareth which is where he grew up all right wasn't where he's was born he's born in bethlehem but it's a place where he grew up so this is the place where he was known as you know this little punk running around learning to be a carpenter um they they saw him you know go through middle school and high school and you know picking on his on his zits on his face, and um, I don't know, Jesus Jesus probably didn't have zits. Um, so this is what's happening in this scripture. So let's, let's read. We're going to read two sections, okay? They're two separate stories that ultimately go together. So we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 12. Jesus left there, speaking of the ten cities, and went to his hometown, speaking of Nazareth, he was accompanied by his disciples. Now, at this point, he had called his disciples. He was walking with them. He was really modeling what it looked like to follow him before they fully understood who he was. They fully understood there was something different going on here. And there was a lot of authority and power, but they were following him, but they were not yet commissioned out. So they were with him, accompanied by his disciples, when the Sabbath came. And he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed." So he's teaching in the synagogue in this this center of religious life. On the Sabbath, a day that we, we learned about several chapters ago, he began to break the paradigm of, or at least fulfill the paradigm of what Sabbath was about. And many who heard him were amazed. I want to start right there. The word amazed there was not just, oh, wow, that's just really cool. And the word amazed there literally means to, be, to strike with panic. So what he is doing, he's teaching something that is confronting them at the very core of something. And Scripture doesn't tell us yet quite what it is, but we know that it was something that they had some massive tension with that confronted them somewhere. And then the question came, where did this man get these things? They asked, where did this man get these things? Pretty general. They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? So they see it, they're scared by it, but they still recognize something good is happening. And yet they're still threatened by that. And still we don't know yet, is it, is it, is it for themselves? Is it for their own life and their own culture and their own city and what's going on there, or is it something bigger that they think is against God? Isn't this the just? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And so they begin to real. It begins to come back, and this tension has caused them to look at Jesus and discredit him not for what he's doing and what his wisdom and power seems to be being brought to the table now, but they can't get over who they always knew him to be. And they took offense at him. It it literally means they were offended. They saw him and they were offended by what was going on. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. You've maybe heard that. That scripture before he's actually quoting something he had said earlier and something that was in in scripture earlier as well but so they're offended by him and he looks at him and says well of course you are because a prophet is without honor in his hometown you don't get it and he doesn't again he doesn't really explain it he doesn't fully say and here's why you don't get it he just says this is this is what's going on they took offense at him and Jesus, jesus said this the prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own town. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. It goes on. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. So he left uh, that specific area, but he stayed in the region and taught in the villages around. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits and These were his instructions he, This is what he told him he said, "Take nothing with you, take nothing for the journey except a staff. no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, and a the staff there or earlier um, when when they had been uh, traveling around, he had told them not to take a staff and the staff specifically he was talking about was a defensive staff, like something to, you know, if you get attacked to defend yourself physically and here he tells them to take a staff but specifically it's the staff, it's the shepherd staff. So there's some things going on there. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town and if in in any place will not welcome you or listen to you leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them so they went out and they preached that people should repent and the word repent means to turn okay now it 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 doesn't come turning does not come without recognizing where we're off base it doesn't come without confession But it's admitting, you know, this confession of saying the same thing. You would look at something and be honest with God and say, oh, yeah, that's not a good thing, is it? And then to to turn from that. But not just to turn from something, but to turn towards something. Okay? That they should repent, that they should turn. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil um, and healed them. This, this scripture, I want to remind you a little bit about this, um, the narrative of what's going on here. You know, Jesus had, had come in the, on the scene and he had questioned the religion. That was just religion for religion's sake and, and checking the box of religion. Okay, I did that good. I did that good. I did that good. And he questioned and he began to teach the heart of it. He taught the heart of the Sabbath. He taught the heart of the fast. And then he taught the heart of this new community, that a way of living, we live together, that when the outside world looks at it, they actually look at it and say, that's good news. And he introduced this idea of the kingdom on earth that is in in heaven, that there's this idea of the kingdom breaking through where we are now, because in this community, there's this hope, and there's this joy, and there's this taking care of each other, and there's this good thing that becomes truly the greatest testimony of the kingdom. Not just our words that we could talk about it, but our lives together, collectively who we are and what we're about in our community becomes a greater testimony and the greatest testimony of the kingdom. Okay? So he's doing that, he introduces that, and then he spends time with broken people. And he offers them hope. And he loves on them. The most rejected and the most put on the margins people he he hung out with and spent time with and loved on them and gave them and, and gave them hope. And they received his message. And then we began to see in scripture that they were, he began this, this journey of restoring broken things and broken people. And instead of looking at him and said, Oh no, your sin's too big, he he said, No sin's too big. And he says, But but it is it's not. God's desire for you to live in this, all this brokenness. And so look what's going to happen and, and you will be restored, brought back together. Have you ever gone, have you ever gone on those, uh, those trail horse rides? You know, where you get the old sway back mare and you try and, and they just, they look spooky. They're scary. And you try and find the most, if you're with your kids and everything, you try and find the most docile, you know, calm and make sure you get on it, put your kids on the other one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you've ever been on that trail horse ride where you're, you're getting on it and you're going and you're trying to get these horses to go and they have one gear. Like if they're going any slower, they'd be going backwards, you know? And then you get halfway point and you turn around. Seriously, have you ever done this? Raise your hand. You've done this? What happens? Giddy up. They start thinking we're heading back to the barn and it could be scary. You ain't slowing that horse down. Here's kind of this moment, I think, in this story where Jesus is doing all this. And then all of a sudden there comes this turning point where he begins to address those who won't receive it. And he begins to start pointing his disciples and pointing people towards this end that we know is truly the beginning. And it's taking on a whole nother level. We're about to see this story get very intentional and very... It's all intentional. Um, this is a really important moment of what's going on. And the seriousness of this, we see in the scripture. Remember, what did he tell his disciples to do if people did not receive this message? Shake the dust off of their feet, Right? There is a cultural implication of that. In fact, the nation of Israel and many of their writers wrote on this that they believe that other countries outside of Israel were so defiled that when you were to cross over back into, into Israel, into the nation of Israel, that you would, they would physically knock the dust off of their feet so they didn't defile their holiness. And they were saying, we'll have nothing to do with you and really associating, identifying everyone else as the heathens that they are, and that we're protecting this holy place. It it was written by early Jews. Listen, it says, All dust which comes from the land of the Gentiles is reckoned by us as the rottenness of a dead carcass. And of these two, the land of the Gentiles, and a field in which is a grave, it is decreed that they defile by touching and by carrying. So, Here's Jesus now saying, forever we have said the world and everyone but us is so evil and defiled. There's a new mess so that we're going to shake the dust off of our feet. And he's saying, you know what? There's a new rule. There's a new covenant. There's a new way of life. And there is a point when we go in when it's not received specifically by those who rejected everyone else. That there's a point in which you turn away from that. And shake the dust off. And we're moving forward. It's important to remember that that was most likely and most frequently de- described as it wasn't heathen. It was religious. It was Pharisee. It was, it was arrogant. There, it was those who believed in God but rejected Jesus. Um, this is getting serious. Here's what I want to do. I want to go back. Let's look at verses one through one through six. Go back through there and scroll through that scripture. I want to take a a moment just to talk about a few observations. What I want to do is what do you see? One part, I think there are many messages in here, many things that are going on. What do you see when you, when we read that scripture, you said, ah, I've never saw that before. Ah, I think that means this, or huh, this affirms this, or what, what do you see in there? That stands out to you when we read it. I really want, like, tell me. Anybody. Start with that first section. Huh? No, you can't go to the next section yet, John. Nope. We'll get there. One through six. Okay, anywhere on there. Okay, yeah. Did that strike anybody that Jesus could not do? Don't you want to just go, yeah, he could. He just chose not to, right? And John, what did you say? Why is that? Why could Jesus not do anything there? What stood out about that to you? (laughs) To a lack of faith. Anybody else think about that? Yeah, that that hit me. I, I even looked it up. I looked up. I said, "Okay, this can't mean he really physically could not." But th- that word, "not able," j- literally means he was not able; that he didn't have the power to. And and again, we got to back up. It's not that he that God is not able, but it the way God has designed it is that there is this so interesting dance between what God does and our response. That their response to God literally put a barrier up from them experiencing what they hoped for. What else? I noticed that even though they were completely blown away by his wisdom and his teaching, that because he wasn't a celebrity pastor or he didn't have a, a seminary degree, ordinary guy yeah why is that? If, if, if he really, and Scripture tells us that when he taught, he just blew people's socks off. I mean, it just made sense. It was just, you know, they couldn't even, they had such a hard time confronting him, claiming it was heresy, because everything he taught was so biblically founded. Why then, why is this? Why could they not receive that? What does that tell you about us or them? Anybody have a thought on that? I just—I think it's exactly like me. I'll be honest with you. I hear something that's like, "Yeah, that's true," and I'm like, "I don't want to believe it." You ever do that? Yeah, but I can already see that's going to cost bloop 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 bloop, and I'm going to have to do bloop 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 bloop, and eh, must not be true. I think we get a real insight to our nature and how we. I think we have convinced ourselves that if we hear a truth from Jesus, we're just going to really believe it and do it. I think the truth is we still really struggle with that a lot. What else? Anything else in that, that part of Scripture? I didn't know. I, I didn't know that the root of the amazing was to strike with panic. I thought that was interesting. Because I always thought Yeah. yeah there was that initial impression of fear yeah so what do you think they were afraid of? What panicked them i think mean, i I think probably a lot of it we we are, change scares us to death, doesn't it? It's amazing how biblical all this is, <laughs> you know, and how much sense it can really make what else? Yeah, yeah. So he was doing something. Yeah, the intentionality of Christ is. He was doing something there, right? He was doing something. Who do you think that was for? Who's that for? Who is the true audience of him going back there and experiencing that journey? I think, think, one, I think they're multiple, but I think definitely. They were watching. And we'll see that. What else? Someone said or something over here. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, the word that later it says what? That Jesus was what? Amazed. It's not the same word amazed as the one used earlier. In fact, it's completely not the same word. Even the two words it comes from are not even close to the two words the other one comes from. Which is a difficult part of sometimes studying, you know, a text that was written in another language. But it means wondered. If you haven't done the translation, it, it, it means that he, he, he wondered, that he marveled at it. In fact, no, no other place in Scripture, Jesus marvels, like he just sits back and wonders, except for by people's faith and by people's disbelief. He marvels in that. I think it's interesting that, God, that Jesus himself sits back and marvels at how God does this thing. That struck me as as interesting as well. Anything else? I thought that was cool too. Anybody else think about that? Said he was powerless to do any miracles. So instead he just healed people. And I'm like, that seems pretty awesome to me. Wouldn't mind doing some of that. Right? What do you think that's about? It seems like he's delineating between the eternal and temporal to me, some. You know what I mean? He, the real miracle he wanted to do was save their souls. And he just instead just healed them. Uh, we struggle a lot. I, a lot of places that I have struggled in my journey along the way is, and, and I get anxious or I'm struggling with something, it's almost always because I forget this is temporal. And my faith in the eternal, it's hard for us to grasp. Good thing is God knows that our brains have a hard time grasping eternity, okay? He knows that, and we deal with that tension. But sometimes that's a really hard thing to do. What, what I love about it, and what I wrote down about that thing, was, was that um, he just still went out and did the good he could do before he left, you know? Okay, I can't do that? Okay, well, I'm just going to do everything I can do and move on, all right? I read one commentary talking about um, that they were literally, they were prejudiced. And it wasn't a race thing, it was a they're just it, it pointed out their prejudices that when we have a preconceived idea about someone how much we cannot get over that and allow grace into doing something else but that's just that reminder that Jesus uses and can use anyone. You know? Anything else before we go on to the next part? We were singing that song, um, "I am set free." Whoa, that song. I just think I was thinking about this scripture. I was like, "They are in such bondage; it seemed miserable." Hearing truth, and they're so tore up inside that they are gripped. They're struck with panic that they don't know what to do with Jesus Himself. That they would just rather not deal with it. And I was just thinking, they're in such bondage. No wonder Jesus taught about freedom so much. Because that's one of the ultimate goals in our lives that he desires to bring into our lives. And what's interesting to me is it almost always has everything to do with how we deal with religion. And when you guys, when I say religion, I'm talking about the check the box of religion. The things that we do and make ourselves feel, well, okay, at least I'll go to church. Okay, I'll just read the Bible, even though I'm not even really thinking about it. Okay, God, I read that. Or going through the motions. You know what I'm saying? Instead of actually considering the deep things of Christ. All right. Well, let's go on to the next part. What was, that, what was the next section? Any things that stood out to you with that? Where he sent, the, sent them out. They went out, village, village. He called the twelve, sent them out. Gave them authority over impure spirits. Said, take nothing except for a handful of things. Shake the dust off your feet. And teach repentance. And then they went on to ministry. What's st- what stands out to you in that scripture? Like why? It's good. To Yeah. 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 I thought Noah's Ark too was funny. I thought I was being silly. <laughs> it's just, it's true. You just never see Jesus sending anyone alone. Why do we want to go at things alone? Why do we do that? We've never been commissioned to do that. It's good. What else? By the way, I do have points here. I'm just seeing if you get them so far you're doing pretty good what else read over it again underline stuff come on there's some glaring ones that are like really that's interesting why would he do that well yeah why do you guys think What well, do you think he would yeah? I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I would I think there's an opportunity to plant a seed there among a certain person in that community that would stay. They're there when they leave. Maybe. I think it some of it is tied to what he told them not to bring. Why would he tell them not to bring another shirt? What would be the reasons why I want you to wear sandals and not shoes? Only bring one shirt. Does it talk about how many pairs of underwear they were allowed to bring? No bread? No bag? Okay, maybe faith. So he was teaching them faith, that if he sends them, that they're going to be taken care of. What else do you think? There was actually a very physical reason for that. It's exactly right. They were, they were on the move. There was a sense of urgency happening here. This trail horse was heading back to the barn. It really was. I read that in multiple um, commentaries. Yeah, maybe so, John. Because I know you, I tell you that sounds a little new age, but um, I'm kidding. <laughs> it doesn't really. I thought I thought to say I think there's. I think that's part of it. I think that. I think what you're talking about is posture. It seems like Jesus is creating a posture where there's no way this these guys can come in and be arrogant. There's no way. Why? Because they needed someone else to sustain them so that someone else also maybe they needed to give the sustenance i think jesus is really beginning to set the dna of the kingdom here where we have to depend on each other maybe it's physical maybe it's emotional maybe it's spiritual maybe it's all whatever it may be and the early church looked different than it did today but there's still the heart of it that i think if we don't get we will completely sabotage our journey together If we don't realize that God, that Jesus is setting this precedence of us truly. um, What did he say? He says, you'll know, people will know you're my disciples. How? You remember? By your love for one another. That is how. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you do nothing else, but people just saw how much you loved one another, they would see me. No, that wouldn't work, Jesus. Sorry. What else? Yeah. Any of you guys ever tried to live out your faith in some way, but you're afraid you're going to get rejected by a friend or an old cohort or whatever, and it's embarrassing, or you're going to do damage? Maybe maybe selfish reasons you're scared of that, and then maybe good reasons you're scared of that. You don't want to hurt them, but you end up just, it owns you, and you're just stuck there forever. Has that ever happened to you? Just me? Okay. I think Jesus has given us a real permission there, that if we're truly seeking to live the life of Jesus and live on mission and teach his truth, then... Maybe we need to be... There's a line where we have to figure out how to be more concerned about what Jesus thinks of us as we try to find our identity in Him more than finding our identity in what other people think of us. That's a really tough balance because it's really easy then to just go to get real arrogant and accuse sinners of being sinners and, and we're going to withdraw and be holy and you just keep sinning and I'm not going to let you defile me. There's a, there's a really thin line there that I think we have to be aware of. But... Jesus is certainly saying, does it strike anybody else as interesting that according to some of the way we measure success in the church, Jesus failed in this first section. Right. Well, we've got this constant struggle towards the goal of it, which Jesus constantly says is something that God does versus the faithfulness of us, is our journey of how we are living out our faith and how that's looking. Um, and it's a trust. That's a trust issue. Can Jesus? Can I really trust you with this result? Or can I really trust you with my growth? Or can I really trust you with what you're calling me to? And can I really see the results? As God? If I follow you, is that really going to work? Jesus is saying it doesn't really matter. What matters is if you just follow and trust him. And we can let go of all, because many times we get caught then in just the appearance of some of those things. A couple of things I saw there. One was just to take nothing, requiring so much of us. The humble approach, depending on others, growing in faith. He's teaching a new way to living it out and also creating this DNA, this very, the the fabric of care and concern, self-sacrifice for one another. I think it's interesting in verse 7 that he, as he calls them, it says that he gives them authority as well. We always wonder where our strength is going to come from. Listen, Jesus is never going to call you into something that he's not going to give you the strength to do whatever he desires to accomplish. Okay, I think that's a good word of affirmation. Um, I think the whole dust thing, shake the dust off of our feet, really helps us under, go back and evaluate what we really value. Is our value acceptance of everyone? Or is it really trust that God is already at work? What is our, is God at work already out there? He's already at work out there. It doesn't 100% depend on us, you know? And so relax a little. And just be faithful to that journey. And the other thing that stood out to me is that what they taught, what they taught was to repent, was to turn. They were, they were teaching to turn. Their way of religion was to be something that was being defined a, a new way. I want to give you two things that I, that I just want to, that I'm learning, that I'm, I'm reminded of in this, in this scripture that I think is just really important. Um, you know, the first one is that I'm constantly amazed at who Jesus was, that he always set the example before us. I think these two scriptures, these two sections of scriptures, go incredibly well together, just like some of you have already said, because Jesus went and did it first, he was rejected by his hometown. And then he sent the disciples out. There is just, the, there's such beauty in the incarnation that Jesus has, has, that God let his son come into our world and live among us and experience the struggles and the pains and ultimately the rejection to the cross um, that we can gain so much confidence um, out of that, and when we talk we talk all the time about our identity in Christ, how do we unlock and figure that out? I think this is at at the heart of it, and just truly finding out who Jesus was and who who he is, what he was about, and what confidences we can gain from that. And I'm reminded in that that we just keep pressing because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he taught. That was his message. And that when yeah. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that struck me that I think is so significant and resonated with me so much was this was the second time he went back to Nazareth. The first time, right after he was baptized, went into the the desert, was tempted. Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he immediately, the Spirit led him to Nazareth. Do you remember that? He went there Verse 14, Luke 4, it says he returned to Galilee, the power of the spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And it was here that he read the significant scroll from Isaiah. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day, went in the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. It was the same thing he did here. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Scripture goes on to say that Jesus rolled up the scroll and he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And you remember what they did? They wanted more. They said, hey, do all the miracles for us. It it literally says, all spoke well of him and were amazed. And that word amazed there was the marvel amazed. They weren't threatened by it yet. And look what happens. They were amazed as gracious words that came from his lips. But then the question came up. Wait a minute. Isn't that Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So he goes on to explain that he cannot do those miracles here. And he literally compared them to a land that was in famine where God would not send help. So all the people, verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And this was the really cool part of it. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What amazes me is that Jesus came back. I think it's just amazing that he came back and he brought his boys with him. He came back to a place that tried to kill him and tried to offer them a new way of life, a new way of faith, a new way of freedom, a new way that being this amazing thing. He left a carpenter's son, came back as the son of God twice. I just have to sit on that. And I have to just think about that goodness where Jesus offers to take some of the most broken and simple and humble and poor things and restore them back and heal them. That's you and me. That's what he offers us. And he says, now, receive that, please. And I want you to go out in the humblest of ways, not with arrogance or pride or thinking that it's just of your power because I'm going to do something through you where the church will rise because you are the church and he chooses us that blows me out of the water that he went back let's pray